A-list actors attempt to settle the strike their way. Plus, we have our first major summer movie delay. All that and more right now. Hello everybody, I'm Dan Merle here with my latest update on the ongoing SAG after strike. That's right, the actors are still on strike even though the writers are back to work. A lot of people have said, well Dan, why haven't you given an update on the actor strike? And that's because there really hasn't been one lately. There were talks that were ongoing and many people honestly had expected the strike to be wrapping up right around now that hopefully they would be able to use the deal that the writers got in order for the actors to get back to work. But that's not exactly what's happened. Actually, talks broke down last week between the Actors Guild and the AMPTP. So we're going to go into that. Also, this A-list star proposal that was hopefully, at least on their part, an attempt to help mediate or broker an end to the strike, but doesn't look like it's actually going to be able to do that. And as I mentioned, we have our first big summer movie delay with Deadpool three now off the schedule for the first weekend in May. We'll talk a little bit about that, but let's go back first of all to the breakdown of talks between the actors and the AMPTP last week and why exactly that happened. A key point in the writer's strike was streaming residuals, basically getting paid for the success of of a show and streaming residuals were also a key point in the actor strike and the hope was that using the reporting numbers the new reporting numbers system and the basic terms of the residuals that the writers were going to get that the streamers would be able to sort of port that over in a way to the actor strike but it turns out that sag after wasn't looking for the same kind of system instead of the residual system that the writers got which was based on the success of a movie or show sag after instead decided to ask for first of all a share of streaming revenues. So they went in and asked for 2% of streaming revenues, which the streamer said, absolutely not. Then sag reportedly went in and asked for 1% of all streaming revenue, which the streamer said, absolutely not. And then said, we are not going to engage in any sort of discussion where you get any sort of percent of our flat streaming revenue, because according to the streamers in the AMPTP, then that doesn't really bring into account how well a show does or whether an actor should get paid that much. It's basically saying, well, you have to shell out for all actors regardless. So sag after decided to change their tactic, and instead of asking for a flat percentage of streaming revenues, they went in and asked for, again reportedly, a 57 cent per subscriber fee that would go to the union and to the actors. And this is reportedly also what broke down talks altogether because the streamer said, well, okay, this is basically the same thing. You're again asking for a flat fee for everything or every subscriber that we have. We're not interested in doing that. And not only are we not interested in that, we are going to walk away from the negotiations entirely. And we're basically where we were a few months ago with the writer strike where the AMPTP didn't like what was being proposed and said, we're gonna take our ball and go home. And now nothing is being done. Netflix, of course, is still the leading name in streaming, and the head of Netflix, Ted Sarandos, had this to say when asked about the proposals from the sag after negotiating committee. He said, quote, The counter was this levy on every subscriber, and prior to that was a levy on all revenue, where basically the union will take a certain amount of money for every subscriber to a service. That issue that we got resolved with the writers was not only accepted in the deal, but ratified by a 99% vote of the Writers Guild, so I know that all these guilds are not created equal, and they all have different needs and more bespoke needs, but like I said, that is one that worked, that rewarded success, which we agreed with. 
but a levy on top of our revenue or per subscriber with no insight into the revenue per subscriber or anything, that just felt like a bridge too far to add this deep into the negotiation. And that was reportedly another reason that the AMPTP walked away is they felt that this was sprung on them deep into contract talks and they didn't understand why this was all of a sudden being brought up. Although, of course, the union has a different story. And when asked about why SAG-AFTRA was not going after the same kind of residual structure based on success that the WGA got, the chief negotiator for SAG-AFTRA, Duncan Crabtree Ireland, said, quote, For our purposes, it doesn't adequately address the range of performers who need to be compensated better in streaming. You know, writers work in a totally different economic structure than actors do, and that bonus proposal is limited to only a small number of projects that appear on these platforms. Our proposal from the beginning has been to provide compensation for the contribution that's made by all of our members on these streaming platforms, and we can't agree to something that's structured in the same way that it's for writers. It just doesn't work for us. And keep in mind that what he's referring to here is the deal that the WGA finally agreed to, which is essentially a bonus that's paid out for any movie or show at a certain budget level that gets viewed by 20% or more of a streaming service's domestic subscribers. What the sag after union is saying is that basically, hey, that's great for writers, but actors work differently, and that's far too narrow a proposal in order for everybody that we feel needs to be compensated for streaming to be compensated because it leaves out people that work on lower budget productions. It leaves out people that don't meet that success threshold, and we're fighting for our members we feel like more people than that need to be compensated as far as streaming programming. And personally, I don't think that it is an illogical ask. I understand where sag after is coming from here and saying, you know, listen, yeah, I get that it worked for the writers, but that's much more about rewarding. And this is about making sure that the actors are making a living and the unions are different. I think where you maybe could open yourself up to criticism on the sag after side isn't so much what you're asking for, but how they decided to ask for it. Because they asked for the revenue share, 2%, 1% of total revenue. And then their tactic in adjusting that ask was to want a certain amount of money per subscriber, which to me, and I understand that you could probably sit and explain the differences, but ultimately to me, that's the same concept as a revenue share. That's still basically saying you are giving us a fixed amount of money per whatever, not necessarily per your total revenue, but now per subscriber. It's still a fixed amount of money that doesn't really address what the streamers said their concerns were. And I'm not saying you have to bow to those concerns, but at this point in the strike, SAG-AFTRA knows who they're dealing with. They know that these members of the AMPTP are going to use any excuse possible to walk away from the negotiating table and say that the other side is being unreasonable. Obviously, I'm not in the room and I am not a negotiator, but I think that change of tactic, perhaps it was a calculated risk, but it was a risk that ended up with the AMPTP walking away. And I'm not necessarily saying that that is SAG-AFTRA's fault. The AMPTP probably would have walked away at some point anyway, but I don't necessarily know if that was the best tactic because that's not really a change in what you're asking for. It's just a change in how you're asking for it. Of course, that's not how SAG-AFTRA sees it, and Duncan Crabtree Ireland, when asked by The Hollywood Reporter about the breakdown of the talks between the union and the AMPTP, said, quote, We made a huge, huge concession on streaming revenue share, changing that proposal away from a revenue percentage into just a viewership proposal. Massive move in their direction. I'm truly shocked that they have not responded favorably to that and that they instead decided to walk away from the table. It is mystifying to me why they think that this is a way to move this process forward. And I absolutely agree. 
that walking away from the table and stopping talks is not the way to move the process forward. And the AMPTP did this with the writers. It was frustrating when they did it with the writers. It's even more frustrating now that they're doing it with the actors. But I also think that they're playing up a little bit how shocked they are at the response from the streamers. Because like I said, I do think that it is basically a different way of asking for the same thing. In a statement released last night, the president of SAG-AFTRA, Fran Drescher, defended the union's choice to ask first for a flat revenue share and then to ask for a fee per subscriber because, in her words, it's basically a disruptive revenue sharing system for a streaming model that's already disrupted the entertainment industry. We have identified what the flaw is in this streaming model with regards to compensation. Now, it's true that the CEOs don't really want to address that, but sometimes in life, when you introduce an unprecedented business model like they did on all of my members with streaming, an unprecedented compensation structure must also go along with it. Regardless of how we got here, as of right now, the talks are not happening. And the hope that this would be resolved somewhat quickly after the writers went back to work was obviously so that the crew members and everybody who wasn't working could all get back into production, but also because there is a bit of a ticking clock. We all saw how the strike has affected the fall movie season with a lot of high-profile films being pushed off of their release dates, including Dune Part 2. Now the rollover is starting to affect the summer movie season and honestly it imperils an entire season of broadcast television as well because none of those movies even if they have all the scripts in the world can get into production without actors. Disney announced yesterday in a bit of timing that's perhaps coordinated with all the other stuff that's happening in the news right now about the strike that Deadpool 3 will be moving off of its release date in that kind of Marvel slot of the first weekend in May, the kickoff to the summer movie season. And now, yes, people are looking at summer movies and saying, well, will those even come out? People are looking at the spring movies. Will Dune Part 2 be delayed again? What's actually coming out? It is a butterfly effect, and I hate to say it, it reminds me of what was happening when COVID was going on, where a movie would get delayed and then get delayed and then get delayed. That almost crushed the industry. Maybe it did. It definitely changed things for the worse as far as the theatrical exhibition model and now here we are again there have been some unconfirmed reports as far as when i'm taping this video right now that captain america brave new world moved up to may 6 because that movie has been shot the reason that deadpool 3 moved reportedly was because that movie isn't finished shooting so even if the strike wrapped up in a week or two weeks in order to get everybody back to set to get the movie shot to get the movie edited the time frame just isn't there to have it ready by may and this is a huge blow for distributors and exhibitors in the theater industry and also i think for a lot of fans because i'm sure that there will be some hype and excitement around the new captain america movie but i don't think it's going to be to the degree of Deadpool 3. It's a character that fans haven't seen in about six years. You have the hyped up crossover with Hugh Jackman coming back as Wolverine. I just don't think you're going to get the same hype to kick off the summer movie season. And I really don't know how many more bad seasons of attendance the theatrical industry can take. It's already pretty rough out there and it just got that much rougher.
And out of this atmosphere of growing frustration, and in some cases, desperation, a group of A-list stars emerged with their own proposal that, depending on who you ask, was intended to either help end the strike or to help actors as they're struggling during the strike. This group of actors included George Clooney, Tyler Perry, Ben Affleck, Scarlett Johansson, Emma Stone. And this was the proposal that they reportedly made to the sag after union in a Zoom call on Tuesday. They proposed a deal wherein high-earning actors would agree to remove the $1 million cap on membership dues to the sag after union so that higher paid actors could contribute more. And in addition, they also proposed a system that paid out residuals first to lower paid actors and then deferred the payments to higher paid actors. So basically the way the system works now is that sag after members pay around $232 a year in dues and then 1.575% of their earnings up to 1 million are paid to the union. This would basically get rid of that cap so that the higher paid actors would pay 1.575% of their entire earnings each year with no cap. And then for the residuals, it's pretty self-explanatory. In confirming the plan's proposal to the union, George Clooney told Deadline, quote, a lot of the top earners want to be part of the solution. We've offered to remove the cap on dues, which would bring over $50 million to the union annually, well over $150 million over the next three years. We think it's fair for us to pay more into the union. We're also suggesting a bottom-up residual structure, meaning the top of the call sheet would be the last to collect residuals, not the first. These negotiations will be ongoing, but we wanted to show that we're all in this together and find ways to help close the gap on actors getting paid. Now, I think regardless of motivation or whatever, I think that this is a very generous proposal. You basically have the people that are in the 1% of the acting category, and that's actually a much smaller number of people than most people give actors credit for, saying, hey, we want to pay more than our fair share because we understand that these are hard times and we want to lend a hand. However, there are two different ways to take what the effects of this plan would possibly be. One way to take this offer is that the actors are going to the union and saying, hey, listen, we see that the AMPTP is being really tough in these negotiations, but also everybody needs to get back to work. So if we agree to put this extra money into the union over the next three years, then this may perhaps give the union a little bit more negotiating room with the AMPTP and maybe you don't have to fight quite as hard for every dollar and cent because we'll be adding more money. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. To the union coffers. The other way to look at this proposal is that it's a group of actors who are saying, hey, we understand that actors are struggling and this is a contribution to the union, but it's not related to the strike whatsoever. And this appears to be the position of the union itself. First of all, in a statement from Duncan Crabtree Ireland, he said, quote, I think someone wanting to help is not someone wanting to undermine. The idea of lifting our dues caps and providing more membership dues could help fund all kinds of programs that can help members like programs to help 
help uninsured members who need health insurance, premium help, or things like that. But that's not a way to put money into the benefit plans. It's not even legal to put money into the benefit plans except for employer contributions. So I really see that as a gesture of goodwill and support that's meant to help lift up the membership more than it is to affect the contract negotiations. However, there was some reporting done in Variety that the actors who proposed the plan were actually disappointed that it wasn't taken up by union leadership, that it would not become part of the negotiations. But that idea of legality is the key question here. Yes, it's a nice proposal, but could it be implemented in reality? And the union leaders say, actually, no, it couldn't. We are a federally regulated labor union, and the only contributions that can go into our pension and health funds must be from the employer. So what we are fighting for in terms of benefits has to remain in this contract. And that's kind of apples and oranges. And this was backed up in a statement by the negotiating committee also released last night that said, quote, we're grateful that a few of our most successful members have engaged to offer ideas and support beyond donating extraordinary sums of money to the sag After Foundation in support of members during the strike. These influential individuals have sought to offer suggestions, in particular with regard to our streaming sharing proposal and the AMPTP's characterization that we are asking for too much. They have contemplated increasing the amount of money that the highest earners contribute to the union via raising their dues. This generous concept is worthy of consideration, but it is in no way related to and would have no bearing on this present contract or even as a subject of collective bargaining. It is, in fact, prohibited by federal labor law. For example, our pension and health plans are funded exclusively from employer contributions. It also doesn't speak to the scale of the overall package. And there was also feedback given about this new residual plan proposed by the actors, the idea of paying out money to people lower on the call sheet first. And again, the response wasn't necessarily that it was a bad idea, but that it seemed to misunderstand how the system works. Because again, in some industry reports, many people have said, well, that's not exactly residuals, that's profit participation. Profit participation is when a movie or a show does do well, and usually the higher price stars will get paid out first, and then the lower down you go, those people will get paid out what they're due if a movie or show is successful, whereas residuals are basically all paid out at the same time. There is no tiered system as to who gets paid what when. And so what the actors proposed isn't really a revision of the residual system, which is under negotiation, but a revision of the profit participation system, which is not under negotiation. And this was also backed up by Fran Drescher in her video on Instagram. There was a reference to a suggestion of maybe a solution from some people of how maybe we can get back to the table with some kind of a residual model. But that was vetted by our very experienced union contract staff negotiators and lawyers. And they said that it unfortunately doesn't hold water. So given the fact that this plan apparently could never be implemented legally or practically, and the fact that, and the union is right about this, it doesn't even touch on things like AI and streaming residuals that are also under negotiation. Was this some kind of a cynical ploy, as some people have said, to save face from the actors? I don't necessarily think that's true. Now, they may not have quite understood how things were supposed to work, 
But I don't think that this was something that was just done as a publicity stunt. I do believe that this was an effort on their part to help. However, I disagree with the union's position that this wasn't meant to be something to help resolve the strike. I actually do think the intention was to give the union a little bit more leverage and negotiating room as far as what they could accept from the AMPTP and making up any shortfall if they took a deal that didn't quite pay out as much. Clooney said that the actors wanted to be part of the solution. And to me, that reads as part of the solution of settling this strike. Was it the best way or even a feasible way for them to do that? Maybe not, but I don't think that it was unrelated. Regardless of its intention, and I think the intention was to help, I do think that it sends a message that could perhaps hurt SAG-AFTRA's position with these different negotiations because it does kind of seem like that the union members are growing a little restless so much so that you have some high profile members saying, we'll put some of our own money into this if that ends it, but let's just end that. That could signal to the AMPTP, hey, maybe we can leverage this into forcing them to take a deal that they're not necessarily happy with because obviously so many of the members are ready for this to end. Remember back when they were negotiating with the Writers Guild, the AMPTP publicly released details of what they had been offering the writers when those talks broke down in what I think was an attempt to get the rank and file people, not the negotiating committee, but the writers who were on strike to go to their union and say, hey, we like that deal. Why aren't you taking it to apply pressure for them to take the deal? Now that didn't work because I think that the Writers Guild actually did very well as far as presenting a unified front. There were hints that there were people that were unhappy, but there was never this sort of public thing of members saying, hey, here's some things that maybe could help help you solve the strike, which some people could see as potentially undermining the negotiating committee. So what's to stop the AMPTP from doing what they did before? To release in public the details of what they currently have proposed to the actors in the hopes that it'll be a different outcome, that the actors on strike will go to their union leadership and say, hey, we want to take this deal because we have to get back to work. I'm not saying that that would work, but I'm saying it does open the door potentially to the AMPTP trying to do something like that because they're looking for weakness. They're looking for that flaw in the armor. They're looking for a way to get through that union shield and undermine them. And, and I want to be very clear because anytime I've even lightly criticized one of these two unions, I've been accused of being on the side of AMPTP or that I don't support organized labor. That's absolutely not the case. I support SAG-AFTRA and what they are doing 100%. I think that you can criticize perhaps some tactics or analyze a situation and say, hey, I see a weakness there and still be on the side of that union. Overall, the AMPTP are the obstructionists here and they've always been the obstructionists. They're the ones that walked away from the table. They're the ones that need to be back at that table, not tomorrow, but today. They need to be back at that table yesterday. They need to be back at that table last week. They are the ones prolonging the strike and I wanna be very clear about that, but I do think that perhaps the SAG-AFTRA union as a whole is in a bit of a weakened position compared to where they were when talks broke down in a way that the WGA really never was. Now, my sincere hope is that this isn't true and that they're able to get back to the table soon and reach a deal that is equitable for the union members that the union is happy with, that addresses those concerns. But I also, and again, you can criticize tactics here, think that the union isn't helping itself when it does things like releasing, as they did yesterday, their Halloween costume guidelines.
SAG-AFTRA sent members a short guide about how to celebrate Halloween while continuing to show union solidarity, and it contained tips like choose costumes inspired by generalized characters and figures, ghost, zombie, spider, etc., and don't post photos of costumes inspired by struck content to social media. Now, I get the intention behind this, but immediately questions sprung up from people about not them wearing costumes, but members who may have kids who don't really understand why they can't dress up as a movie Ninja Turtle or a TV Ninja Turtle or Batman or Barbie. In fact, in a post on social media, Ryan Reynolds said, quote, I look forward to screaming scab at my eight-year-old all night. She's not in the union, but she needs to learn. As the strike grows more and more consequential and the negotiations are not happening, again, I understand the reasoning behind this as far as the union goes, but I don't think this is necessarily the right time to send out a message to members about costume enforcement. Of all the issues that SAG-AFTRA is facing right now, I don't really know if Halloween costumes merited a directive from the union. And much like the influencer guidelines that were released at the beginning of the strike, I think that this is far too broad of a rule. It raises so many questions, again, about people with kids. If I'm a member of SAG-AFTRA and my kid dresses up as, you know, Super Mario, do I have to go in front of a SAG-AFTRA tribunal to explain that, oh, well, no, they weren't the movie Super Mario. Does a union member have to tell their eight-year-old that, no, I'm sorry, you can't dress up as your favorite Paw Patrol dog because that's a struck project. And so we have to go find a more generic costume for you. This is just not where I think one second or one minute of time and focus should be spent from anyone at the union. It's an understandable objective, but it's a bad strategy. And it's something that I think that SAG-AFTRA has struggled with throughout the strike. I think that it's been tough for them to elucidate publicly exactly uh, why the influencer guidelines are the way they are or why so many movies and shows have been given interim agreements that allow people to go to work while other actors are out of work or why they have to send an email telling members that they can't wear certain costumes or post things to social media. All understandable in the broad sense, but tough for the union to justify publicly. And so much of this is a PR war I think that you can't open yourself up to these kinds of criticisms. But ultimately, that's not the biggest goal here. I think the goal here is focusing on talks resuming, getting a deal that is fair, getting that deal approved, and getting people back to work. As we approach the holiday season, things grow even more perilous because Hollywood basically shuts down in the month of December and doesn't come back until January. So the further you go into October and November, the less likely it is that anybody is going to get back to work in 2023. And there are a lot of people who can't afford that. And that's really the ultimate goal. And again, as I said before, the obstruction isn't happening on the part of SAG-AFTRA. They may do some things that I disagree with or that I think aren't the perfect way to handle things, but they're not the ones that are holding this deal up. It is the AMPTP. And as bad as the PR may look for SAG-AFTRA with certain things, costumes, etc., the AMPTP's image has been sullied 10 times more. They are inarguably the villain of this entire strike storyline, and they continue to be. I just want people to get back to the table and get back to work as soon as possible. The question is, who will decide when soon is and what exactly is possible. So that's my update on the SAG after strike. Hopefully I'll be back soon because that would mean that there's news to report soon, which would mean that people are back at the table. Perhaps they've been able to strike a deal. Also, just a reminder, even though the Writers Guild strike is over, I'm still giving 5% of my ad monetization money 
from the channel here for the duration of the actor strike to two different organizations, the Entertainment Community Fund and the Go for PAs Alliance, which supports production assistants who are out of work. And thank you to everybody who's been watching so far. In just the last few months, I've been able to donate over $1,000 to these two organizations, and I will continue to do so until a fair settlement is reached. As always, be sure to stay tuned right here on the channel for more movie news, reviews, box office, and more. Until next time, stay safe, and I'll see you then. Bye.